Good morning. Uh, it's great to be on the pulpit again after a little while of uh, rest and just being able to uh, come and adjust in this great state and city of Dover, Delaware. And uh, for those of you who have seen me for the first time without my mask, this is what I look like. Uh, so please don't be alarmed. I am now a pastor of this church, and so I'm not a guest speaker. <laughs> It's my honor and privilege to bring to you the Word of God this morning. So if you are able to, please stand with me as we read the Word of God first in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And then our second reading will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. I will read for us in 1 Samuel. The Word of God reads, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli, said, I did not call, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. And then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. And so Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And let us go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Now, through today's second reading in 1 Corinthians, we can see that the way that you understand the gospel message, the way that you interpret scriptures ultimately leads to how you will live your Christian life. 
the more you know about Jesus and the more you are learned in the gospel, the more you will live for Christ. And vice versa, the less you know about the gospel, the more elementary your knowledge of Jesus Christ is, the more your Christian living will not reflect the scriptures and not reflect the gospel. And this transformation, of course, comes through the word of God and the working of the Holy Spirit to sanctify you. We can see this in our lives in fundamental doctrines such as grace. And we all know grace. Hopefully you know grace. The name of our church is grace. And so hopefully you're familiar with this fundamental doctrine. The less grounded we are in grace, this doctrine, the less we will live in grace and the more we will try to attain our salvation on our own. But on the other hand, the more you know about grace, the more you are immersed in the knowledge of God's grace, the the less you will try to save yourself and the more you will depend on God to save you. And it was these types of fundamental doctrines and knowledge of Christ and the gospel, these misunderstandings by the Corinthian Christians that led them to fall into many sins, and it caused Paul to write this letter to them. And in the greater context, we see in 1 Corinthians, Paul admonishing the the Christians in Corinth about their way of living. Now, they would boast about, well, I'm spiritual, and I do these things. But it caused so much division in the church, the churches in Corinth. Now, what were some types of things that they were claiming? What were some types of things that were causing these divisions? Well, first of all, we see Paul right off the bat in chapter 1. He says, why are you following different people? So they were dividing over who was the better teacher. Well, I follow Paul. No, I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. Well, I follow Jesus. I'm the most spiritual. Hopefully, we all follow Jesus. We see Paul admonishing them constantly about these trivial things that they would boast about and cause division. They were divided over what kind of foods they could and they couldn't eat. They were divided about uh, many different trivial issues, taking each other to judicial court even over these things. And Paul is just shaking his head, saying, aren't you Christian? It wasn't because they were horrible Christians that they did these things. It was because their knowledge of Christ, their understanding of the gospel was lacking. And these things might seem ridiculous to us and they might might seem trivial to us today, but don't we see similar things in ourselves, in our church, in our community as well? Just as they said, I follow Apollos or I follow Paul, some of you guys might say, I follow Kenny. He's the, or he's the senior pastor. No, I follow Joshua. You know, he's the new guy. We might say, I like Korean food. Or I like Mexican food. Or I don't like food. <laughs> I, I hope not. Some want more things in a church and some want less things. Some want things to be changed like this and do we, we need to give in this area or that area. I've seen some churches split over the color of the carpet in their church. And don't look at the carpet. <laughs> the point is that slowly 
just like these Christians in Corinth, we also may divide over things that are not essential. Why does this come about? We become divided as Christians because we deviate from the gospel. We deviate from the knowledge and growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so how can we overcome this? Well, Paul gives us a simple answer. He says, live a gospel-centered life that points to Christ daily. Grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ so that you live according to his will rather than your own will. And specifically in our text today, Paul speaks and points to holiness. Live a holy life. And I don't know if uh, Pastor Jeff did this on purpose, but I love that, that last song that we sang about being holy. Now, when we think about holiness, of course, we think about God, and we think about his attributes. We think about his perfection and his purity. We think about him being sacred and, and you know, all those things about being holy. We think about revelations, how all the nations will gather together with the angels and cry out, holy, holy, holy. But what does it mean for us to be holy? Because the scripture does say, what does the scripture say in 1 Peter? Peter says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So what does it mean for us as Christians to be holy? Does it mean that we are pure and perfect like God? I think it's a part of it. But for us, holiness means being set apart for the Lord. It means being different from the world. It means being sanctified and consecrated before the, the Lord and being transformed into the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. So then holiness is not just being spiritual. It's not just looking perfect. It's not about doing religious works on the outside. It's not about never getting angry and just smiling all the time. These things might be a result of holiness, but holiness means being transformed by the Holy Spirit to be like Jesus, to be set apart for the work of God. So how do we live these lives of holiness? Of course, the straight answer is by the power of Jesus Christ, by the power of the gospel, through the work of the Holy Spirit. And it, this is not from our own works. It's not from our effort. But it is out of our reliance and dependence daily on Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit. And so I want to just discuss a few things as we go over this text. Paul, he says here to the Corinthians, holiness isn't just about being spiritual. In other words, being spiritual doesn't automatically mean that you're living a holy life. And we can see this from how the Christians in Corinth, they, they lived. They claimed to be spiritual. They claimed to have spiritual lives. But Paul points out to them, you're not living spiritually at all. 
According to Leon Morris, in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, this is the type of background that these Christians are coming from in Corinth. He says, it was a city where Greeks, Latins, Syrians, Asiatics, Egyptians, and Jews bought and sold, labored and reveled, quarreled and hobnobbed in the city and its ports as nowhere else in Greece. The city to which Paul came preaching the gospel was in a very cosmopolitan place. It was an important city. It was intellectually alert, materially prosperous, but morally corrupt. There was a pronounced tendency for its inhabitants to indulge their desires of whatever sort. As I was reading this description, I thought, this is kind of like the New York of our time, where we have this metropolitan this great city with all sorts of people, diverse backgrounds, people from all over the place, intellectuals, that's, you know, business is done there. But just because they're diverse, just because they're intellectual, just because they're even religious or spiritual, does not mean that they know the gospel message. It does not mean that they are living in holiness through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this was the great misunderstanding of the Corinthians, is that they thought, if I just attain some kind of spiritual level, then whatever I do is okay. The Corinthians believed that because they had this knowledge of God, and as we talked about last week, the mystery of the gospel, they they know this mystery now, that somehow they have now been elevated above other people in this spiritual realm, And so no longer is the physical of any importance at all. Why? Because the spiritual is so much superior. Uh, You care about your physical things? You're uneducated. You're, You're inferior. Don't you know that the spiritual is superior? And so this caused them to go into sin because they didn't care about the body. They thought the body is just, it's just transient, it's passing away, it doesn't matter anymore. All that matters is what is spiritual. Apparently there was such a problem with corruption and sexual immorality among the Christians in Corinth that Paul had to explicitly state in his letter that those who indulge themselves in these practices will not inherit the kingdom of God. Previously, in the same chapter, in verses 9 through 11, he goes into a list and states, if you do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, why does Paul make this list? Well, because the the Christians in Corinth thought that you could do those things and still go to heaven, still inherit the kingdom of God, still be, you know, a, a worker of Christ and a servant of Christ. And he had to list I mean, that's just ridiculous to me. But he says, Such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. What's interesting here is the Gentile Christians, so we see from their background that most of these Christians are Gentile. They come from various backgrounds, diverse settings. He says, You were once like this. You once indulged in these you know, sexually immoral acts in these sins. But he says, you were sanctified and justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. How can you now go back to doing these things? 
And so Paul, he makes three arguments that I think are brilliant arguments against what they were saying to him. And we see these arguments in verses 12 and 13. So let's go through each one. He says, uh, I have a right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. So these Corinthians, they were claiming that since God has set us free, God has saved us by his grace, now that he has, you know, given us, revealed to us his word and this mystery of the gospel, we can do whatever we want. I have the right to do anything. In the intellectual superior minds of the Corinthian Christians, their reasoning was that since God saved them and set them free, freedom means that you can do anything you want. Paul makes it clear, though, that grace is not a ticket of permission to just do whatever you want, but that now through God's grace, we have been set free from sin, from the bondage of sin, from death, and now we are under the power of righteousness, holiness. So grace doesn't mean that you go and now you just sin and just do whatever you want and it's okay. But now grace means that we are under the power of righteousness because we have been claimed by the righteous one. The question that we must ask as we think about grace, our understanding of grace, is do we think of grace as something that's self-seeking, something that's self-gratifying, pursuing my own liberty? Or do we think of grace as seeking the glory of God, building up his kingdom and his people? The reason why I titled this sermon, Holiness That Leads to Unity, is because that's what happens. When you pursue the holiness of God, you see unity, the unity of God's people, the unity that comes between a believer and God through the Holy Spirit. That only happens when we pursue holiness. When we pursue spirituality that leads to something else, it actually leads to division. And Paul says, when you think you're spiritual and you're not pursuing holiness, what's inevitable is that you are going to seek the things that you want. You are going to puff yourself up and it will cause division. This is what he says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about Jesus and his humility. In other words, whatever we do must be for the benefit of others and not to their detriment. If Christ had looked to his own interests, where would we be now? If Paul had looked to his own interests and said, well, grace, you know, sets me free and I can do whatever I want, where would we be now? We alike are no longer bound by the laws. We are no longer bound by these things. We are no longer slaves to sin. And so we must ask ourselves in our daily lives as we pursue holiness, does my pursuing this holiness result in others being built up? Does it result in unity in those around me, unity in my church? Am I becoming more one with God 
because I am pursuing this holiness. Number two, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. And Paul here brilliantly asserts that when you indulge in these practices, claiming that you can do them because you're free, he says, then you will become mastered by them. Now, the reality is that no matter what we do, we are always going to be a slave or a servant of something. Paul in Romans 6, 14, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. And so in chapter 6, he brilliantly lays out, he says, If you are no longer a slave to sin, then now you have become a slave to righteousness. Why does he use these terms? Because Paul knows that in anything we do, whatever your focus is on, whatever your heart is intent on, that, that will be your master. In other words, if the Lord, if God is not your master, then something else is. And we call that idolatry. This is what the Christians in Corinth were doing. They were claiming to be spiritual. They're claiming to be Christians but they were committing idolatry. They were putting something in the place of God and claiming that it was God. If you are a slave to sin and unrighteousness, the Bible tells us that it leads to death. But if you become a slave, a servant of God, a slave to righteousness, it will lead to holiness and eternal life. The reason the Corinthians were indulging in their heinous sins was because they were still looking for something other than God to save them. They were looking to their intellect, their spirituality, instead of God. Thirdly, in verse 13, Paul says, You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So the reasoning of the Corinthians was, because the body is transient, it doesn't matter. Just like the stomach, it doesn't matter because it's passing away. It doesn't matter what kind of food you eat, it doesn't matter. So just like that, the body doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do to your body because in the end, it's only the spirit that matters. That was their logic, that was their their reasoning. And Paul, brilliantly, he says, well, what will happen to your body After this light, what happens to your body? Your body will be resurrected just as Christ's body was resurrected. And he goes further and he says, don't you know that even now the temple of God, it's not in Jerusalem, but it's in your body because the Holy Spirit dwells in your body. Your body has now become the temple of God. And so your body is no longer your own, but your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so if you are going to go and commit all of these sins and, you know, sleep with prostitutes and commit sexual immorality, it's as if you are profaning the temple of God itself. Paul is brilliant. And he's right. Our bodies are the temple of God. What happens when In the Old Testament, the priests or the priesthood or anyone, for that matter, profaned the temple of God. They were severely punished. They were severely punished. We read uh, the story of Samuel in 1 Samuel 3, and we see that in those days, the 
word of God, the revelation of God, was rare during those times. And I hope that kind of you, you, that raises an eyebrow and you think, well, wasn't Eli the high priest? Didn't they have the priesthood, the Levites? How was the word of God, how was the revelation of God rare during those times? Because of their corruption, because of their hardened hearts. It was because they were profaning the temple of God. Why was Eli's household condemned? Why were they punished? Because Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were profaning the temple of God. They were corrupting God's temple. They were corrupting the Israelites, the people. And so God raises up Samuel, this young boy, or most scholars say in this time he was maybe 12 years old. And they raise up, he raises up Samuel where no one else could hear or know the revelation of God. At the end of chapter 3, I encourage you to go back and read, it says that when there was, it was rare for the word of God during those times, God spoke to Samuel. God revealed his word and revealed his will to Samuel for the rest of his life so that nothing that Samuel said fell to the ground. Why? What was the difference? Samuel loved the Lord. He sought the Lord. He sought holiness of the Lord. This holiness, it comes from knowing the word of the Lord revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. In the season of Epiphany, we remember how God revealed himself to the Magi. He revealed himself to Mary. He revealed himself in this epiphany, this great epiphany of the great Savior that was to come and save the world from its sins. We also have this same revelation, this revealed word today. Some people say, well, uh, I, don't, I, don't know when, you know, I don't know when God speaks to me anymore. And, you know, in the Old Testament, it seems like he just spoke to the Israelites straight. And now, you know, I don't know where God is. I don't know what he's saying. And, well, did you know that if you open your Bible, that is the revealed word of God? Amen? Amen. We have more access to the revealed word of God today than people had thousands of years ago. And not only that, but just as Paul says, the Holy Spirit lives in us, lives in me. I don't have to go, you know, hundreds of miles now to a temple to worship because the Holy Spirit dwells in me. And so don't think that the word of the Lord is rare in our time. No, it's not. He has made it plain for us today. So that in Hebrews chapter 1 the author writes, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The more we seek God's gospel-centered holiness, the more we will be united with God and with each other. The Corinthian Christians were terribly divided because they did not seek to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. They did not allow the word of God and the gospel to affect the way that they thought, the way that they acted. When you don't live gospel-centered lives, you will live an idol-centered life. It will cause sin, dysfunction, 
and division. We look in Samuel, the consequences of Eli's sin was the division of the people. The people became corrupt and divided because of what his sons were doing. But on the other hand, God raised up a man named Samuel. And he used Samuel to anoint the first king of Israel and bring all of the Israelites together under God. When we pursue holiness, it's not just good for me, it's good for those around me as well. It's good for the church. And so that means that not growing in God's holiness, not growing in the knowledge of the Lord, not growing in the word of God will cause division. The unity of the church is affected by the way we humble ourselves before the Lord and are obedient to him each day. And so we pursue true holiness, true life-transforming holiness because it glorifies God and it brings unity in Christ. Living in sin, so vice versa, when you live in sin, it doesn't just affect you. It affects those around you. It affects the unity of the church. And that's why we bow and we depend on Christ daily. So let us be a church where everything leads to the gospel in our lives. Every moment, every morning and every night, we are depending on Jesus Christ. Let us be a church that truly relies on the Holy Spirit to sanctify us, to make us like Jesus Christ. Let us be a church that shows unity in this world that is increasingly more divisive and sinful. Then, through God's people, this broken and divided world will see Christ. We'll see the uni- united, the unification of his people. And they will turn to God and they will give him glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you are a God who forgives our sins and who leads us to righteousness. And we pray, Lord, that during this time of hostility and division, that you would use us as your people to bring unity, to bring righteousness, to bring holiness to our lives and to those around us, that you may be glorified through us and through this church. And we pray all of this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.